Shelton, your host, and I want to thank you for inviting me into your home this week and listening to what I have to say. This is going to be a tradition-breaking podcast because usually at this time of the year, the last week of the year, and this is the last uh, week of December 2022, um, I will do a year in review where I'll kind of go through Tony Ortega's reporting and other media reporting and my own channel and if other people, anyway, just kind of break down the events in Scientology and cult in the world of cults and um, in the big wide world of significant events or things that happen that, that I want to comment on or talk about, and uh, including personal things that might have happened along the way. But this year, we're doing something different. I'm not going to do a year in review because instead, what I'm kind of looking at right now is a decade in review. And by that, I mean it was 10 years ago that I got out of the C organization. It was December 2012 that I routed out or officially left the C organization with their blessing. They did not kick me out or kick me to the curb or fire me or anything like that. It was me saying, I got to go. And it took me nine months or something of, of work trying to sort through the process of getting the hell out of there. But I did it, and I did it in order to, um, well, there were a lot of reasons that I left the C organization, but I still considered myself, as of the beginning of 2013, I still considered myself a Scientologist, and I still had uh, the idea that I was going to be a Scientologist for the rest of my life, and I was going to pursue L. Ron Hubbard's Bridge to Total Freedom. But things, th things changed a little bit in 2013. And that actually is a podcast for next year <laughs> where I will break down, uh, you know, my entire 10-year, uh, uh, you know, retrospective or whatever. But for this year, what I wanted to talk about, what I want to talk about this podcast was um, where I'm at in terms of recovery from Scientology, where I'm at in terms of um, education and learning and growing and things that I wanted to share um, now that it has been, you know, uh, basically um, almost a decade now that I have been out of the C organization and out of that headspace and also look at how Scientology has changed over this time. Because in 2012, Scientology was positioned much more in a, in a much more favorable, much better place than they are now. They had had the public revelations of Marty Rathbun and Mike Rinder and um, the Headleys coming out uh, with Blown for, Blown for Good as a, you know, his Mark Headley's book. And um, the SP Times, this, the St. Pete Times had published the, um, the whole uh, truth rundown and, you know, the first real big expose of Scientology since 1991's. Uh, Time Magazine's article on the cult of greed. There really had not been any thorough systematic takedown of Scientology's abuses and exposure of them from 1991 through until the, the St. Pete Times, at least as far as I remember and understand. Certainly nothing super significant. Um, from official media, what there had been in 2008 had been the anonymous protests, and that was the that was a really big 
paradigm shift for Scientology, but it wasn't, you know, a few years until that shift really resonated enough that the media, like the St. Pete Times, was able to take Scientology to task in such a public format. And they had the ammunition of Marty Rathbun, Mike Rinder, the Headleys, et cetera, to try to do that, you know, to, to, to do that, that exposing. And other ex-members who had also come out, Tom DeVock, Amy Scobie, various other people, uh, building on, you know, all the years of exposure that had come before, but had never really gotten the broad spotlight that, that these new people had been getting, uh, had, you know, got. And then, of course, you know, as, as time moved forward, we had other events come forward. You know, we had other people come out. The same time I got out in 2013 is the same time Leah Remini got out. And it took her, um, you know, she she started speaking out fairly quickly, and um, and then things went really fast uh, because uh, after that was um, Paul Haggis uh, with the Apostate in the New Yorker, and then the Going Clear uh, book and documentary, uh, Lawrence Wright's book and Alex Gibney's documentary, and uh, featuring all those cast of ex-Scientologists who were speaking out, uh, from Rinder to Rathbun to, you know, all the others I named. And, um, boy, was the exposure suddenly, like, HBO, I think it was the second most watched documentary ever published, you know, on HBO or, or put out there. And uh, I think it was something like 9 million people watched it, uh, you know, in its initial uh, viewings. So it was, it was, you know, Scientology was suddenly in the media spotlight in a really big way. I think this was 2015 or so. And that, again, changed the whole tenor and tone of the conversations about Scientology. So in 2012, when I left the Sea Org, abor forced abortions were still going full on. The RPF still existed. Um, people's passports were still being taken, confiscated from them, Ru you know, routine false imprisonment and uh, human rights violations, order of the day in Scientology, uh, all the way, you know, all day, every day. Since the exposure has continued, as I just laid out, and those documentaries came out, and then, of course, Leah's and Mike produced Scientology in the aftermath over a great deal of nonsense and and uh, pushback and various things from from the production and and, and the, the work that had to get done to, to get the truth out there and get these people interviewed, ex-members, experts in the field. Uh, the three seasons of exposure of Scientology, just one after another, after another, after another, just, you know, hard-hitting ex expose after expose, <coughs> breaking down Scientology for a mass audience so that everybody kind of gets that it's not a good outfit and it's not something that you want to get involved in. And, uh, of course, there, was, there were Emmy Awards for that show, which gave it even more prestige and credibility. And Leah and Mike really did uh, sort of bring out the very, um, the, the best exposure that's been done of Scientology. You know, the most concentrated exposure, from my point of view, is the Going Clear documentary. It's two hours, and if you watch that, you will get the, 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 the nature and culture of Scientology. It's all in there. 
if you want the bigger look, you know, the, the, the longer view, the more in-depth view of it, Scientology in the Aftermath as that documentary series. It is just a brilliant takedown. And then, of course, I will then point you to my channel and the, you know, over 1,000 videos that I've produced, almost all of them somehow related in some way, directly or indirectly, to Scientology and cultic uh, coercive control techniques and abuse and or recovery from that sort of thing. That's what you'll find on my channel. And Leah and Mike didn't get into recovery or the psychology of what was going on really too much. And that's what my channel is here to give you. Okay, so that's sort of my off-the-cuff take of, of how things have rolled out over the last 10 years in terms of exposing Scientology. And what do we have as a result of all of that? By the way, not to in any way um, take away from the efforts of Tony Ortega, Aaron Smith-Levin, um, Steve Mango back in the day, you know, how dare I say his name, um, Karen De La Carriere, Tori Magoo, the, 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 the long list of people who have come forward uh, as former members or as interested experts or professionals uh, and done the work on a daily basis uh, or, or weekly basis to, to put out their information, content that is driving um, you know, this toxic idea out there that Scientology is toxic, that it's bad, that it's not good, and that it's something that actually should be criminally prosecuted. It's not even like, oh, it's just some bad ideas. It's no, this is a criminal outfit doing criminal things, and they need to be treated as criminals. The, the, the organization and its leadership, I don't mean every Scientologist is a criminal, I mean it's a criminal outfit doing criminal things. And it does have criminals in it. So let's be clear, you know, that maybe not all Scientologists are criminals, but there is absolutely people being driven to criminal activity. And some of those people embrace that. And, uh, you know, of course, details all over my channel. So uh, anyway, you guys know what I'm talking about here. So this is, this is uh, you know, so we have seen some real public shift of attitude towards Scientology. And this is culminated in this last week in news that Scientology is the second most disregarded or most reviled or hated religious activity in the United States by survey, uh, beaten out only by Satanists. And that's hilarious. Uh, and by the way, the third on that list is Jehovah's Witnesses. Fourth on that list is Mormons. It's interesting. Uh, these are all cults, right? Now, Satanists are, is a very broad umbrella of people, and I, some of them are my friends. They are not a cult. <coughs> Excuse me, at least not the official Church of Satan. Uh, it's a bit of a, um, not a satire, but it's a little bit of a, Hey, if you want to have, uh, if you guys want to, if you, it's a, it's a, it's a protest group that is really, as far as I can tell, I'm not speaking officially for them, but Satanists and the Church of Satan is really an effort by people who are sick and tired of, of religious groups uh, taking over legislation and law and 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 dictating behavior to everybody who's not 
not Christian really is what they tend to you know fight against uh, in state legislatures. So I you know so so the, the idea that the Satanists are the most reviled, hated you know group of people in America is kind of funny from a religious perspective because they're really not Satanists at all. But people don't know that, think about it, or put too much attention or stock in any of what I just said. And they think, oh, gods, people who worship Satan, of course, they're evil and they must be destroyed. And, okay, you know, whatever. But it is funny to me that um, regardless of all my satanic apologia there, Scientology very correctly is uh, listed there as, uh, as a hateful and hated uh, religious activity. And, uh, and that's where we're at these days with Scientology is nobody's really wanting to be part of it. Nobody's joining up. It's not a group that is getting any kind of uh, public. Um, well, in fact, the mayoral race this year in Los Angeles proved that politically they are a, a, a bomb. It's like, get, get that stuff away from me. They, both of the mayoral candidates in Los Angeles could not uh, denounce Scientology hard enough or fast enough in this last uh, race a couple months ago. So point being, as, as, as I think I've, I've made clear here, that Scientology is universally reviled and treated as the disgusting criminal outfit that it is by most even semi-informed people out there. And that's exactly what we want because that's the truth. So... That's Scientology 10 years. So where am I at 10 years out, right? A lot of water gone under the bridge. <laughs> and the bridges that I've had to cross uh, in getting away from and outside of the Scientology mindset are not bridges to total freedom. They are bridges to chaos and confusion and uncertainty because that is what real life is. And uh, that is not a pleasant message for most people, but it is the truth. And I would rather live with an uncomfortable truth than a pleasing lie. For many, many decades, I lived with an awful lot of very pleasing lies. They sounded great. They offered an awful lot of certainty, and they offered a framework of, of uh, rules and guidelines and principles that I thought were explained life and explained behavior and explained why things were the, the the crazy way that they were and what we could do about it. And that was all the framework of Scientology that I lived under. And I was living under a false facade of certainty and knowledge that was not true. None of it was true. It was all a bunch of nonsense and lies stacked on top of toothpicks just waiting for the whole thing to fall apart. And for a lot of people, most people who get involved in destructive cults like Scientology, it does eventually fall apart. Sometimes it takes longer than it does for others. Uh, sometimes people are raised to believe these things are true. Uh, so it's very hard to undo it. Uh, when you believe me, when you grow up with belief, it is, I, I think, far stronger, far deeper uh, part of your identity than for somebody who is converted later in life. Um, so I had a few thoughts about being recovered from this group. If I'm going to say now that Scientology is something I have recovered from and I'm not really pursuing further work in that recovery, 
what does that mean? What am I talking about? And is there anything that I've learned from all this that might be useful to any of you out there who are maybe going through your own recovery process or trying to help others go through theirs? Well, let me share a few random ideas with you that I thought were significant and might be important. Uh, They were to me. So I'll just kind of, I made notes here. uh, So uh, if I sound like I'm reading, it's because I am. Uh, I said here, okay, when you're in a cult, it's like your mind becomes a cluttered mess, a hoarder house of stuck ideas you can't move or change, which encircle and entrap you. And when you hit that reset button, this is addressing really the, the, the idea of hitting a hard reset in your life. It's hard to do. That's why I call it a hard reset. (laughs) It's a play on words, but, you know, it's when you do that, uh, when you change everything, when you decide to take that leap of faith or leap of change where you need to, you don't know where you're going, you don't know if what you're doing or about to engage in is going to succeed, but you know that whatever is going on around you is interminable, it's unlivable, It, it, it cannot You cannot stand it anymore, and it can't continue this way. And you do that hard reset where you just go, okay, maybe my social circles need to change. My job, my house, my profession, my my relationship status, maybe all of it needs to change. Oh, my God, am I really sure about what I'm doing? Well, it's, you know, for me, thinking back to... When I was in that cult situation and didn't really know what my support framework was going to look like exactly, and was I going to have money, and was I going to have a place to live, and was I going to be able to feed myself, was I going to have any friends, was my life going to mean anything anymore to me, these were kind of big deal questions for me 10 years ago, and I took the plunge and got out of the Sea Org and did the hard reset And it was kind of like going from this hoarder house in my mind. A hard reset lets you not just rearrange some furniture, but actually get out of that house and move to a whole new neighborhood. Perhaps not a gated community anymore, but one where people actually are free to think about what they want, say what they want, and change their thoughts Whenever they want. And a strain to take this this sort of uh, hoarder house neighborhood analogy and strain it even further. The new place of residence still has people. And so you're still going to have to deal with nonsense. You know, when from, from inside a cult mindset, inside a cult, you get out of that. You get out of that headspace. You start giving yourself some freedom and some ability to think and move. And it's not like everything just magically is better at all. (laughs) It's not like that. In fact, outside of a cult, life is chaotic and unpredictable and therefore can be seen as scary or even terrifying by those whose choices are safely limited so they won't color outside the lines. You know, when you're in a cult, there's a lot of safety and security. This guy, think what I'm trying to say here. And when you get yourself out of it, 
that safety and security that you had and maybe even craved and needed, it's not there now. And that can be very terrifying. Freedom is the ability to color outside the lines. It's, it's the breaking the rules. You don't have to live by all those older ideas anymore. But you end up making a total hash out of things as a result of that. And then you kind of have to come to a place where you're going to be okay with that. That you have to forgive yourself for your mistakes, big and small, you know, petty and major. They're going to happen and there's nothing you can do to prevent it. So instead of fighting that behavior, instead of fighting those mistakes, embrace the fact that it's going to happen and that you can just roll with it and deal with it when it happens and learn from those mistakes and do better next time. You know, that's how life is lived. It's a little, if you want to think about it in a certain way, it's a little bit of the scientific method, if you will. It's how we learn. It's how we grow. It's how we improve ourselves is by making mistakes and doing better next time. And when you're in a cult, you're not even allowed to ever make those mistakes because your, your behavior and your thoughts are so rigidly controlled that you have a very narrow path on which you can walk and it's mistake-free. It's a very certain path. It's usually a very simple path. It's uncluttered by any crazy ideas or chaotic independent thinking. And so it's a very simple, easy-to-live life with a lot of safety and security. But there's no freedom in it. And that's the difference between being in the cult and having that safety, that, that safety net, that support network, that security. Well, you step out and you're not going to have any of those things, but you know what? It's okay. You're going to be okay anyway, you know? Uh, in a cult, another thing I wanted to go over is the uh, sort of, well, in a cult, you're treated like a child no matter who you are or how much you've done. Freedom means making mistakes and then just owning them and moving on from them. It's being responsible. It's being an adult and being okay with adult consequences. Some people in cults do have a maturity issue. And that is one of the things that keeps them in the cult. And why their own personal stages of development can be hampered by the cult, but then when you leave, they kick right back in. And when you're out of that destructive cult's influence and environmental control and thought control, you now have the freedom and ability to grow again and, to, and you'll go through stages of development. I sure as hell have. And boy, do, do, do your thoughts and ideas and attitudes about the world change? You know, there's, there's, there's growth through just growing. And then there's catching up to all the stuff you missed when you were in the cult. Where your stages of development or your ideas tend to become fixed and static and not changing, not moving, not growing. 
That's why it's very only natural that when you get out and you can start interacting with the real world and start thinking and feeling your own feelings and thoughts, that you're going to develop them into new ideas and thoughts and you're going to grow. That's what these stages are all about. It's not some psychological straitjacket. It's a reflection of how life is supposed to be for people. But in a cult paradigm or in a destructive relationship situation, you're trapped and you're not able to grow or grow out of that situation until you escape. So you come to realize in recovery that ideas, this you know, there's a thing in cults about the, sacral, the, the, the sacredness of its knowledge, the, sancti- the sanctity or sacredness of its faith or dogma or belief set. These are superior ideas positioned on a dais of that you practically have to worship at the altar of because they're so powerful and so important and so significant. And this is a trap. This is one of the knowledge traps that all cults engage in, whether it's a sports cult, an acting cult, a martial arts cult, or a religious cult. Any one of these groups claims to believe and hold special and sacred their little collection of ideas and these ideas are very special and i'm going to sort of pop a you know a big hole in the balloon of nonsense about ideas because ideas are not sacred or special or or powerful they're a dime a dozen we have we have thousands of ideas occur to us every single day we're alive they're they're a dime a dozen And you come to realize in your own recovery, I certainly again did, that not only are ideas a dime a dozen, but there's nothing sacred about them. They are collections of neural pathways in our brains and social implications in our lives. That's what ideas are. And we have thousands of them. Ideas shouldn't be hidden away or made sacrosanct and are not to be feared It can be scary trying to wrestle with different or difficult ideas, but that's the only way we learn, grow, and make our lives better. And therefore, people who are trying to negate, suppress, oppress your ability to express yourself or your ideas are people who you do not want in your life. Just get them out. You should have the ability to think freely, talk freely, write freely your own opinions, encounter or utter or write upon the opinions of others. And I just quoted the creed of the Church of Scientology, which is how backwards that world is, that they will dismiss you and declare you suppressive for doing exactly what they say you can do in their own creed. That's what makes a cult. It's that double-binding, crazy-making, here's one rule, here's another, and they both don't work together. In fact, they contradict each other. Scientology has thousands of such contradictory double-binds. It's what makes Scientologists so crazy. Then there's relationships inside and outside of cults. Let's talk about that for a minute. Relationships are not necessarily always better outside of a cult, but they sure are different. The biggest difference between cult versus non-cult relationships are that boundaries actually exist. 
but only to the degree you create them, recognize them as important, and impose them on others. In other words, when you're in a cult situation, boundaries don't tend to exist at all. You are expected to be open, transparent, fully. No secrets, no private, you know, privacy. When it comes to your relationship with the cult and the cult leader, full transparency is almost always the order of the day. Not so in the real world. Healthy relationships have boundaries. A hundred percent of the time, by the way. There is no such thing as a fully open, fully transparent, healthy relationship. We have an emotional need for privacy, for our ego, for our self, for our sense of self. And this means that we have to be able to keep secrets. We have to be able to hold our own counsel, keep our own thoughts, have our own ideas about things that we don't have to share with anybody else. And we have the freedom of movement and the freedom to do things that we don't have to tell anybody else. And it's okay. It's okay to have a life where you have secrecy and privacy and a sense of self. The entire point of a cult is to strip all that away from you and make you so much a cellular part of this bigger body that you don't really have a sense of self anymore or your sense of self is so fixed in with the identity of the group that you're that that you kind of lose yourself in the group. And the opposite of that and being outside of a cult is is having a good sense of self and a good sense of privacy. Um so relationships therefore have to be different in these two situations and they are. And relationships outside of a cult are defined by clearly defined boundaries. And it's up to you as an individual, I have come to learn, (laughs) it's up to you to create, set, modify, and make known your own boundaries. Nobody else can read your mind or do it for you. And if other people make you uncomfortable, say things, do things, act certain ways that you don't like, it is 100% within your rights Anytime, any situation, practically, to say something about that, to do something about that, to say, I am uncomfortable with this, or I don't want this, or I am only okay with this up to this point and no further. And if somebody else, if you're going to have a social relationship with other people, then it's going to be successful and healthy to the degree that they respect those boundaries. And if they don't want to respect those boundaries, they don't have to have that relationship with you. And if you don't want to respect somebody else's boundaries because you think they're silly, goofy, whatever, then don't have that relationship, right? That's how this kind of thing works. And it's quite interesting how cults break these barriers down all the time and call it a good thing when it's generally not a good thing. So that's been kind of interesting to learn about. Like national borders, people will try to violate your boundaries all the time, and it's up to you to hold the line and keep your borders secure. Um, And finally, I had a couple thoughts about being declared a suppressive person, um, because that's been a thing in my life for the last decade. And... um, 
And there was an interesting sort of thought connected with that, which is that when they shun you, disconnect you, label you a suppressive, call you a bitter, defrocked apostate on the edges of the internet and other cruel, nonsensical names and labels, what they're trying to do is hurt you. Being labeled a suppressive is Scientology's final effort to cut a person off at the knees and set them up for failure. It's a premeditated attack on a person's independence and freedom and certainty. Cults like Scientology can only continue if they can create the illusion that you have no certainty or future or freedom if you don't live under their rules and restrictions. They take your own self-confidence away and replace it with cult confidence, where the group is all and you are nothing. Then you're told that the exact opposite is true and you're supposed to feel empowered and powerful, but all of that power rests solely on the cult's blessings. When you let go of the cult's rules about food or sex or relationships or entertainment, clothing, rituals and mantras and language, you find yourself truly adrift with little stability. It takes time to reorient. Don't let those labels and their attempt to cut you off at the knees. Don't let that work. Life is confusing and chaotic and you got to make your way. But all the nonsense from the cult is really just an effort to try to hurt you and make you run back to them. And you, you don't need them and you never did. You know, and that was that, that's that was a fairly uh, significant revelation for me, and one that I wanted to share with you guys. There's there's nothing wrong with you having your own power of choice and certainty uh, in the things you want to be certain of, and take your time, give yourself time, give yourself all the time you need. It took me a decade to get to this place. It took an awful lot of work, an awful lot of talk, an awful lot of listening, an awful lot of reading and learning and, and therapy and uh, everything, all the above, right? And it's still only to come to a place where you realize you're always a work in progress. You're always going to be a work in progress. What you're thinking today could change tomorrow, and that's okay. When you're in a cult, it's not okay. That's the difference, right? Is you get to make your own decisions and decide on your own things. And um, and if you want to join a group, you know, if you want to have a group dictate to you what to think, what to feel, how, how to act, okay, you know, I guess. Um, I, I think, though, that the lesson to be learned coming out of a cultic or abusive relationship situation is that there is a great deal of power that you carry with you in your decision-making and thinking and acting. And it would be a good idea to think carefully about who you're giving that power to in a relationship in a group, being a member of a group or being part of a social network, how much of your power are you giving away 
And are you getting any power back for that? And we can use, we can, we can change the word power, but you know, how much of yourself are you giving and how much are you getting back? That exchange question, that factor of, of, of give and take is a very important one. And unfortunately, a lot of us don't come to realize just how important it is until we've been burned hard. I would spare you that. <laughs> and for those who have been burned and are afraid of being burned again and therefore not reaching, not trying, not learning, not growing, let's see if we can flip that script, you know? Do something for yourself. Help yourself. Reach out, you know, live life. That's, that's really, for me, the big, huge lesson of all this. And, uh, and I wanted to share all that with you guys. So anyway, you know, uh, what else can I say? Not much. I want to thank you guys, all of you, uh, for your support through all of this time. Some of you, again, all the way back to the beginning. Some of you just recently coming on board uh, all of you hopefully interested in, um, you know, uh, growing and learning and progressing. And hopefully my channel and my work is helping you in that regard. Thank you. You have definitely helped me in all of your feedback, negative and positive, constructive and non-constructive. But really the constructive stuff is best. All of that feedback has helped me enormously and continues to help me every day. So thank you very much for your support and your feedback. And I hope that this new year, 2023, will bring even bigger and better things for all of us as we leave COVID behind us and hopefully the troublesome years can kind of calm down and we can move forward into a future where some hope exists and maybe we can move forward into a future where a future exists and we can tackle that future with our eyes wide open and our independence intact and we can build a future of certainty for all of us on our own dime, on our own principles, not those dictated to us by some 1984 big brother authoritarian nonsensical group of cultists. All right. Thanks for coming around and listening, folks. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.